Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome again to you today. Thank you for joining me, and I pray this is a blessing to you. Today, I want to continue in our Beauty of Grace series, and I want to discuss the capitulation of grace, the capitulation of grace. We have talked about many things in this series, and just recently we have seen how God has codified the law, now written in our hearts, given to us through the new covenant, and he has given to us the confines of his fences in his word for our good, similar to how we would protect children in a backyard. We also saw how God has called us to a life of holiness, supplying the Holy Spirit's power that we can walk it out. And we've seen about our cooperation and our consent with this call through understanding that we are to yield to the Lord and no longer be slaves of sin by giving our consent. Now I want to discuss and understand the capitulation of grace. Capitulation and consent are very, very closely similar. But capitulation is referring to the action of surrendering. It's ceasing to resist. It's a willing surrender similar to consent. It is submission and conceding, bowing, yielding, and resigning to resignation. It's almost identical to consent, as we discussed in the last episode. But today, let's look at this a little bit closer. In the last lesson, we primarily focused on the choices of our consent, seeing mainly the scriptural instructions to us and the opportunities afforded us in Romans chapter 6. Not only do we see what, what to yield to or give permission or consent to, but also what not to yield or give permission or consent to. We saw how we have the ability and the freedom now to willingly yield ourselves to the Lord, and we do not have to be slaves of sin. So today, let's understand actual practical ways or examples of this from the scripture and from some recent history. In this lesson, we consider capitulation in the sense of a willing vessel made available to the Lord for his purposes and plans for our lives. My throat is a little bit scratchy, so I do apologize for that, I've been hoarse the last few days, so I'm trusting my throat is coming back. In Psalm 139, God tells us about how he has made each of us individually and crafted us, writing out our days before there was even one of them. God truly does have a wonderful plan for your life and for mine. Some call it a destiny but it's God's plan for each of us, including the opportunities he affords us to serve him, love him, know him, and give back to him by co-laboring with him in his work. I want to start out by considering this from Luke chapter 19, and I want to read verses 11 through 13. Jesus is going to tell a parable here. Verse 11 says this, now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore, he said, 
a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, Do business till I come. So here Jesus is introducing and about to tell them this parable of the minas, which is all about stewardship. It's all about being faithful to use and work with what we have been given. We've discussed this many times in several episodes earlier. But now I want to look at the motives and the self-surrender or capitulation needed and rewarded when it is given willingly. Let's examine the character and aspects of such a surrender and the person who yields in this way. First of all, it takes submission to the Lord's authority, to the work of the Holy Spirit, allowing Him to decide, allowing Him to lead and guide us, like the GPS, God's prompting spirit, that we talked about in a much earlier episode. It requires submission and surrender to His Lordship. Remember, we talked about the confines of His Word in recent lessons. Capitulation, in its definition, means no longer resisting the authority, but in full and willing yielding and surrender. It's making ourselves a willing vessel for the Lord. Remembering He is the potter. He makes the vessels as He wishes. I want to direct you to a few scriptures. First, I'll just mention Jeremiah chapter 18. In Jeremiah chapter 18, Jeremiah was instructed by the Lord to go to the potter's house. And God was going to teach him and show him something there. And he did. And Jeremiah records that for us in Jeremiah 18. And he saw how the potter was making a vessel. And then he made it differently. And he had the right to make the vessel as he chose to make the vessel. In Isaiah chapter 64 verse 8, it says this, But now, O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, and you our potter, and all we are the work of your hands. In Romans chapter 9, verse 19 through 24, Paul writes this, You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy? which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So here we see some references to the potter. The potter is the one who gets to decide the vessel he wants to make, the size of it, the kind of it, its purpose, its usage, and whether it's right or not. And he can remake it as he needs to. The potter makes the vessels into what he wishes, and they are his masterpiece. 
We capitulate because we trust him and submit, honoring and respecting his authority, reverencing and remembering, recognizing that he is the potter and we are the clay in his hand. Second, we open ourselves up to be used by God, the character of those who become these willing vessels who capitulate to the leading of the Holy Spirit and the direction the Lord wants us to go are those who will open themselves up to be used by God and to be known by Him. We listen for His voice and hear His voice and not follow the voice of any other. We follow His voice. In John chapter 10, let's read a few verses, verses 1 through 6 and verse 14 through 16. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then if we drop down to verse 14 through 16, Jesus is still talking here and he says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So the sheep follow the shepherd whose voice they know. The shepherd leads and calls. The sheep follow and obey. The safest place for any sheep to be is as close to the shepherd as possible. Let me repeat that because that is applicable to every situation and to every one of us today. Beloved friend, the safest place for you and for me to always be is as close as possible to our shepherd. Don't try to play around with the fringes don't try to play around with the things of the world. Don't try to, to drift off from him. Stay close to him. Follow and obey. Stay near him. Know his voice. David writes Psalm 23. David's beautiful picture of the good shepherd and a good shepherd and sheep relationship. David was a shepherd. Ever since he was a boy, he knew all about shepherds and sheep. And he knew it took a wise shepherd and trusting sheep. We capitulate because we trust him and we know him. We know his voice and we don't follow the voice of any other. Third, it takes making oneself not only open, but also ready. Whenever, wherever, however, and whatever. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes these words in verse 1 and 2. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. I want us to talk about this for a few moments because I want you to understand what Paul is saying here. And we're going to do a little bit of word study on this passage. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, God is talking here through, through Paul. Paul is communicating this to young Timothy, that it is important for us to make ourselves available to God whenever, wherever, however, and whatever. Paul tells Timothy here to be instant in season and out of season. He tells him to preach the word. He tells him to be ready for use immediately. That word instant is talking about being ready for use immediately. Ready and prepared for immediate use or action at any time. So Paul gives young Timothy some critical instructions here. Preach the word, the logos, the whole of scripture, every line, every precept, every item, every verse. Do not skip it. Don't try to cut it up. Don't try to ignore pieces or passages. It's the Old Testament and the New Testament. And as a matter of fact, in Paul's day, the only logos at that time was what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, the Tanakh. And Paul is telling Timothy, you preach, you herald, you be like a public crier. You herald and proclaim, publish and broadcast, announce openly and publicly, announce as doctrine. Proclaim it all over the place, every chance you have. The Logos, the entirety of the Word of God. It also comes with a sense or suggestion of its authority, urgency, and importance to be listened to and obeyed. Paul says, you carry the gospel. You carry the truth of the word of God. You preach, announce, proclaim, broadcast, and publicly display, and publicly proclaim it, the word of the living God, the entirety of it. Beloved friends, some today are denying the whole of scripture. Run away from them. Get away from them. You be a Berean and you study the scriptures to see if what you are listening to is right, and you stand true to God's word. Don't listen to those who are who are ignoring parts of God's word or telling you that all of it is not important. The Bible talks about line upon line, precept upon precept. God has appointed every single word, and it is important. Be a student of the entirety of God's word, and be ready to proclaim it to announce it, to broadcast it with its, with a sense and an urgency of its authority and its importance to be listened to and obeyed. Then Paul tells him, be ready, be ready, stand present, stand by, be at hand, be ready, in season and out of season. This is talking about when it's opportune, when it's convenient, and when it's not. At any time, at all times, be ready. Whether it's on your planned agenda for the day or not, you be ready. You be ready in case you meet up with someone in a restaurant or in a store and they need your prayer or they need Jesus 
and you talk with them and you ask them about Jesus and begin to share the gospel or witness to them. And you need to take maybe extra time to explain that to them, to bring them to Jesus. And yeah, it might make you later in getting home, or it might make you have to call your friend when you get in the car and say, I'm sorry, I'll be there as soon as I can, or whatever the case may be. That's what Paul is saying here. You be ready whenever, when it's convenient for you and when it's not. Whenever the Lord will lead you, whenever the Lord gives you opportunity, don't miss them. Seize every opportunity that God gives you is what Paul is saying to Timothy. And sometimes it's going to be convenient for you and sometimes it's not. But you be God's willing vessel available to him at any time, at all times, whenever, wherever, however, and whatever he wants you to do. And he says this, you need to be a willing vessel to preach the word of God, to proclaim it, herald it, publish it. But not only that, to convince. He says to reprove or to bring them to proof, to test them, to expose to them, to convict them. And, and it's not that you're the Holy Spirit convicting them of their own sin. But what he's talking about here is you preach the word with its boldness and its authority so that you are putting it to proof. You're showing them confidently Jesus is the Messiah and he is the only way of salvation. There is no other name under heaven whereby men can be saved. And you are putting that to the proof and you are showing them and exposing that to them in such a way that you're refuting all other lies and barriers that may have been erected prior to your conversation with them. So he says, convince them. Then he says, rebuke. In other words, there are times when you must admonish them strongly. You must correct them or charge them. In other words, they may start trying to say that there's many ways to God. You've got to refute that and you've got to rebuke that. You've got to say, no, I'm sorry. And you do it in love. Yes, you do. You don't get into arguments and futile wranglings with people, but you must stand for what is right. And you say, no, I'm sorry. The authority of scripture holds and there is no other way of salvation. There is only one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is only one. And his name is Yeshua, the Messiah, God, the Son, God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. One God manifest in three persons. Paul tells Timothy, exhort. In other words, invite them. Call them near. Summon them. Invite them to come to Jesus. And this includes both comforting words, encouraging words, inviting words, but it also includes instruction, telling them how. How can they be saved? How can they come to know Jesus? How can they live a godly life? It includes comfort and instruction. And he says, do this with all long suffering and teaching. In other words, in putting up with one another, staying the course, suffering long and doing it as unto the Lord, and with teaching, being able to communicate well the doctrine, sound doctrine, correct and sound doctrine, making sure you stay put and teach, exhort, rebuke, with the whole counsel of God, the entirety of God's word, the Logos, sound 
doctrine, and he's fixing to warn young Timothy, beginning in verse 3 and forward, that there's coming a time, which I believe we are living in now, where people are not going to be willing and desirous to hear sound doctrine. They want to hear what tickles their ears. They want to hear what will make them feel good and what will let them be comforted. Beloved friend, I'm not called to make you feel good. If you're on your way to hell, I would be derelict to my duty if I gave you some feel-good message that you were okay and you wind up tomorrow in a burning hell. God forbid that I would ever do that to you. And so I care enough and, and I take the responsibility God has placed in me strong enough and serious enough. I must tell you the truth. And if you are on your way to hell, you must repent. You must repent. I call and invite you to repent right now. Turn around. Stop going that direction. The bridge is out and you are going to find utter destruction at the end of that. Don't go that way. Come here and let me show you the right way. Let me introduce you to Jesus. Turn around and come to the Lord. And people nowadays don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear the cross. They don't want to hear the blood of Jesus. They don't want to hear about the cross. They don't want to talk about sin or repentance. But I'm sorry, beloved friend, that's the truth of the gospel. And if you're on your way, I think if I were in a car that was headed toward a cliff, and I was going to face immediate, sudden, and final destruction, I would appreciate somebody warning me and somebody saying, don't keep going this direction, because if you do, you'll regret it, but it'll be too late. Turn around, turn and come to safety. And so that's what Paul is saying, Timothy, you must do, because there's coming a time when people don't want to hear that, but you still preach the word. Paul's words to Timothy or that doesn't matter. Those days are coming, Timothy, but that doesn't matter to you. You stay put and you teach the truth, even if you're the only one. And you always be ready at any moment to be faithful and obey the leading of the Lord, whether it's convenient or not. Be his willing vessel. Fourth, it takes a willing vessel one who makes himself or herself available to the Lord to use them whenever, whatever, however needed. I want to talk a few moments about a couple of recent examples in the modern day. Sometimes all that God needs and all that God wants is a simple, willing vessel, and that can be anybody. It can be what the world might call a nobody. No big name, no big reputation, no platform, no thousands of followers on social media, just a willing vessel. There was a man in the 60s and 70s that was such a man. His name was Chuck Smith, and God started through him a movement called the Calvary Chapel Movement. It was called the Jesus Movement of that day. The Jesus Movement. Chuck was simply a willing vessel. He didn't have some great platform. He was pretty much unknown, except to the people perhaps in that area in those days, but he was a willing vessel. He went against common churchy practices of those days. He went against acceptable self-righteous ideologies about religion and about who was worthy to preach to. 
and who was worthy to accept in the family of God, etc. He was willing to step out in faith, even if it was unpopular, and it was in those days, even if he was misunderstood, and he was in those days, even if he was hated or ostracized, and I'm sure he was in those days. And millions of people, true salvations occurred throughout that day and even have been occurring since then because of the legacy he's left and the impression that he has made that's lasted now 50 or so years because of that. He was simply a willing vessel. He was used by God to bring about a real revival among a bunch of hippies, among a bunch of druggies, that the organized or self-religious, self-righteous crowd had given up on and said, nope, they're not worthy. They're too sinful. And yet Chuck said, Lord, I'm willing to do what you would have me to do. And all Jesus needed was a willing vessel. And he found a willing vessel in Pastor Chuck Smith. And he began a mighty movement. And there are many souls that have been saved today. And there are many families that have been blessed today because of the Jesus movement and have been enjoying a legacy of faith because of that. I know my husband and I were very, very powerfully touched in those days, and it was real to us. I have a sincere respect and appreciation for a willing vessel that Chuck Smith became in the hand of the Lord. And the Lord did a powerful, powerful work from one person in Southern California who said yes to the Lord, who capitulated and said, I'm a willing vessel. Use me however you want me to be used. I want to give you one example from my own life. And I don't consider myself in any way some great example because I'm just like everybody else. We're all sinful. We all still have our fleshly natures. We all are still works in progress, very much so. But I'll never forget this episode and this event that happened. And the Lord taught me a lot about that then. And one of the things he really honed in on me was that all he needed was a willing vessel. On this particular Sunday morning, I was getting ready for our church service and ready, getting about ready to leave our house and, and so forth. And I happened to just look online to the weather and to, I think, Facebook or email or something like that, just checking a couple of things as I was waiting on my husband and we were getting ready to walk out the door. On that morning, there was an Amber Alert of a child that had been kidnapped a couple of hours from where we were living at the time. And it was a two-year-old child and that they had said that the perpetrator was considered armed and dangerous. It was a very serious situation. And they had told a similar direction of where this vehicle that he was in was last seen. And it was on a road that was near our home. And so immediately after I read the Amber Alert, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and told me to pray because that person was near to us, was in the nearby vicinity. So I prayed exactly at the leading of the Lord. I, I took the time then, right then, I stopped, and I prayed before the Lord, and I prayed what He told me to pray. I prayed according to the leading of the Lord. 
Well, we get ready and we go, get in the car and we take off. Well, along that particular road, there was, we were coming up and there was a vehicle exactly like described in the Amber Alert. And there were six or seven cop cars and uh, patrol cars circled around that vehicle. And so we went on to church and I just, I knew though when I rode by, I knew in my spirit, I went, that's it. That's that child. So we went on to church and we had some law enforcement people that were a part of our church at that time. And they had heard about this and they knew that this was in fact that vehicle, that child, and that perpetrator. And the child had been found safe and sound and the perpetrator was being arrested and would be brought to justice. Now, all God needed, that that's not to say anything about me other than the fact that God taught me the importance during that episode of simply being a willing vessel at any moment, at any time, whether it's convenient or not, to be ready an instant in season to just simply say, yes, Lord, to capitulate and to say, you're the potter, I'm the clay. You're the one who controls the reins. I'll do what you want me to do to the best of my ability whenever you speak to me. And so sometimes that's all that God is looking for is a simple, willing vessel who will say, yes, Lord, I'll do it. I'll be the one. That's all that was needed at that moment. And I praise God because I learned a very valuable lesson during that Sunday morning and that episode, praise be to God. Now I want us to draw us to a close with this scriptural account of a willing vessel, someone who made himself available to the Lord in that moment. I want to read from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it says this, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, this is Isaiah writing, and he says, So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here's Isaiah again. Then I said, here am I, send me. Isaiah said, here I am, Lord. You're looking for somebody to use. I will be a willing vessel. 
I'm going to be willing to do whatever you want me to do and to go where you will send me. Now, in Isaiah's case, he was told later in that same chapter, you're going to be sent to a bunch of rebellious people. Your ministry is not going to be popular. You're going to be hated. You're going to be scoffed. But God's call to him was, I want you to go, and I want you to tell them my message anyway. Isaiah capitulated. He surrendered. He accepted the call, became the willing vessel, and said, Here am I. Send me. That's the heart of a willing vessel. That's the heart and motive of one who is surrendered, yielded, and willing to be a vessel for the Lord. One who has capitulated to the Lord through the work of grace. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of our Beauty of Grace series. God bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen.